Good evening. Nice to see you all on this beautiful sunny afternoon. I'm Adam Weinberg, the Alice Pratt Brown Director of the Whitney, and I'm delighted to welcome you to the 17th Walter Annenberg Lecture. Um, I want to begin acknowledging that the Whitney is located on Lenapehoking, the ancestral homeland of the Lenape. The museum's current site is close to land that was a Lenape fishing village and planting site called Saponaconacan, forgive my pronunciation, tobacco field. Alongside the Lenape, many other indigenous nations have ancestral ties to this place, now known as New York, including the six Haudenosaunee nations, Seneca, Cayuga, Tuscarora, Mohawk, Oneida, Onondaga, and Shinnecock. And, oh, excuse me, and Puspatuck. How many representatives do we have of those nations here tonight? I'd love for you to all stand or raise your hand and be recognized. <laughs> Wonder, wonderful to have you all here. Um, we, um, we honor their ongoing connection to this place. And I'm supposed to say, if you are joining online, please take a moment to identify and recognize the indigenous people who have always and continue to steward the land from where you're joining us. I don't know if we're gonna get any people shouting out. I guess I'm supposed to keep moving, right? Thank you, okay. The Annenberg Lecture features a distinguished artist who has made a significant contribution to American art and culture. Previous speakers in this series um, presented Klaus Oldenburg, Frank Stella, Kara Walker, Martha Rossler, Julie Merichu, Jason Moran, and many, many others. The series was created in 2003 in honor of Ambassador Walter H. Annenberg and with the late Stephen Ames, a beloved trustee of the Whitney Museum and dear friend for many years. I'd particularly like to acknowledge Grow at Annenberg, especially Gregory, Regina, Zoe, and Ari Weingarten, as well as the Annenberg Foundation and the Annenberg family, including Steve Ann's uh, wife, Ann Ames, who is here with us tonight to represent the family. Thank you so much for your tremendous support of the museum. Love you very much. It's my great privilege tonight to introduce Jean Quick de C. Smith this evening as our honored guest for actually my last of the Annenberg Lectures. So this is a special one. The first and the last are always the most special. For 50 years, Jean Quick de C. Smith has forged an exceptional and unorthodox career as an artist, an activist, a curator, an educator, and an advocate. She is a citizen of the Confederated Salish and Kootenai Nation, and through her signature use of humor and satire, her work examines myths, stereotypes, and paradoxes of Native American life. In the process, Smith continually challenges commonly held historical narratives about what we now call the United States, illuminating absurdities in the dominant American culture. Her work is philosophically anchored by both her engagement with indigenous beliefs and practices and her commitment to political activism. The current exhibition, Jean Quick to See Smith, which I hope you've all seen at least once and will see many times, it's up into August, Jean Quick to See Smith Memory Map is the largest and most comprehensive presentation of Smith's career. It reveals how Smith, as an artist, has initiated necessary dialogues about racism, land, cultural preservation through a colorful, dynamic visual language that is both solemn and approachable.
The exhibition celebrates her dedication to creativity and community and emphasizes her deep political commitments, which are urgent and need to be urgent and potent reminders of her responsibility to the earth and each other. As, as Patricia Maraca Norby eloquently writes in the exhibition catalog, she might be here tonight, I haven't seen her. If you are, you can raise her hand. Excellent. Um, there are people who carry our collective pain and mourning for us so we can move forward. It is a huge sacrifice. Smith's images bear witness. They are a recounting of truths, creative acts carried out for all of us. She only asks us not to forget, to sharpen our minds, to resist, to remember the impact of the last battle. She reminds us of what is sacred. This is a tremendous gift. I want to acknowledge curator Laura Phipps, who organized this exhibition with curatorial assistant Caitlin Chason. Laura, can you stand up and be identified? And Caitlin, I'm, directors are allowed to embarrass. <laughs> Caitlin, thank you. Laura deserves tremendous credit for all of this. And um, I want to thank you so much, Laura. This is something that you have opened the Whitney to in a tremendous way. It's not just a great exhibition. It's a um, great reset button for the Whitney Museum of American Art, in quotes. I, you know, one of the things I love about Jean is she always is so quick to give credit and to remember. And one of the first things she said to me that there was a curator here named David Keel, who was the curator emeritus. I don't think David is able to be here tonight, but he was an early champion and was the first one to buy her work here. And I just wanted him to be acknowledged this evening. And it's important to forget, not to forget just those people who are here, to recognize people here, but not to forget those who aren't. Tonight's conversation is an opportunity to learn more about Smith's powerful work, her extraordinary career, but to honor her as a mentor and a collaborator. She has been a major influence to generations of Native American artists, many of whom are in this room this evening, providing exposure and encouragement to hundreds of artists over her career. To that end, tonight's program is the opening keynote for an extraordinary convening taking place at the Whitney all day tomorrow, entitled Sharing History for the Future. I hope you picked up the brochure on the way in. The program is bringing together an intergenerational group of Native American artists, curators, and scholars for conversations about the ongoing and overarching concerns in Smith's work, including land, sovereignty, and indigenous knowledge and identity. And I want to thank you all, because so many of you are in this room tonight. Thank you for participating. Our conversation will touch on many of these ideas tonight as they are threaded into Smith's life and art. And instead of a chronological overview, we have chosen to organize, organize tonight's discussion around five themes. I've also, as always, want to be prepared to have enough questions, so I always write too many. So it's always a little bit of a grab bag. And so, so Jean said to me, it's fine, pick out the ones that you want. So we'll see where it all goes. But the five themes are sense of place and dedication to the land, storytelling, interdependence, critiques of colonialism and post-colonial futures, and matriarchy and legacy. Please join me and welcome Jean Quick de C. Smith. John and I just said, oh, there we go. And, and John and I decided that we should leave 
the, script, the, um, uh, the shades open because we're here in a place, a particular place, and every place has meaning. And I'm just wondering, what does this place mean to you? We also have here your place or one of your places, but what does sense of place mean to you and what does it mean for you to have an exhibition here in New York in this particular place? You know, here's something interesting that we haven't talked about yet. But before I get there, before I answer that Please. question, I would like to give thanks for my tribe, uh, the, my matriarch, strong old woman, quick to see, Marie Rose Delorme Smith, my matriarchs. I want to give thanks to the ancestors, to those who are here, um, and to all of those yet unborn. And then I want to thank the Whitney and its incredibly wondrous staff um, we've worked together for almost five years, and um, in all that time, everything has been a, a great journey. I mean, uh, helpful, interested, responsive. I, I can't say enough about the staff here. And of course, my heartfelt thanks and love to you, Adam. Um, this has been kind and generous of you to spend time with me. And that, that's been really it's important mutual. to me. Um, and I want to thank Scott Rothclough for his, um, for his support. David Breslin, David Keel, David Keel, uh, whoever is in touch with him, please give him my love. That's, um, years and years and years of David believing in my work. And I would hear from friends in Italy and, um, at Tacoma and, and New York that he had, uh, included my work uh, in, an, in a lecture. And then, of course, Laura Phipps, um, your abiding care and respect for five years. I mean, uh, I said to you today, we're in a comfortable place. I mean, in the beginning, we didn't know where we were going. It was an experiment. We had no idea uh, where we would find work. I didn't have the names and addresses from the galleries. Um, and it was an archaeological dig. It was very hard. And so um, all through that, your kindness, your caring um, has meant so much to me. And Caitlin, dear Caitlin, um, came from uh, Bard um, wanting to do an interview with me. And I said, but why? I mean, there are so many uh, big stars out there to do interviews with. And she said, because she looked in the library and there wasn't <laughs> enough information. And she thought maybe she should do uh, a research project. We did the interview, and then she volunteered to come work at the gallery and archive or scan 75 boxes of my material. <laughs> she knows more about me intimately than, <laughs> than you know about you. <laughs> in the world. And, and then when they needed someone here at the Whitney to help with the catalog and with the curatorial work, she came to work with Laura. So... I mean, we're just, um, we are so blessed with this team of one that dots every I and crosses every T and one that has a big vision. So I'm really uh, thrilled about that. And then, um, and then my incredible son, Neil Ambrose Smith, who's here with me tonight, my mentor. Um, and, he, and he's become my teacher in old age. You switch roles. And uh, we've been doing that. And then, um, and now, so 
Yes, so now you ask me about. This is all sacred. All the land is sacred. For Native people, we don't go inside of a building or hang something around our neck. Uh, when we step outside, we're stepping on the sacred. Out of that land, and I've been doing this study for the National Gallery for that mm -hmm. exhibition, I'm working on it for the writing I've been doing, is that our languages named everything, every buttercup, every tick, every bird, um, our languages named all of that. When Europeans came to this country, their languages were in the midst of change in the turn of the century, when we were all rounded up um, at Fort Missoula um, uh, to, to, let me say that, steal the land um, and keep us um, under wraps so that we wouldn't wander and frighten people. Um, at that point in time, we were entering the industrial age. And so English language was changing rapidly, short, businesslike, uh, lost all of its Shakespearean, uh, all of its romance, all of its glamour, you know, it's just about the moment, the instant. Yet we had uh, languages that went on. So when we give a prayer, they go on and on. <laughs> and we talk about the ripples in the stream, and we talk about the, the dragonflies. We talk about uh, those kinds of things in our languages. And when they took our languages away, I say it was like giving me a lobotomy because it took away so much information that I really needed, that all Native people. And now we're in the midst of trying to retrieve it. At home, we have a little school called Nkusum, uh, which is our immersion school. And I tithe to them and um, pray for them in the hopes that we can retrieve parts of our language. But you know, when time has moved on, your language has to change with the times. Mm -hmm. And this is something that concerns me, mm -hmm. something that I'm worried about, and I'm not sure what the solution is. I know that my friend here in the audience, Peter Jemison, and I worry about the same, we, he's mm -hmm. right here. Mm -hmm. We worry about the same things, Peter and I, um, because we're in, um, we're in contact and also we're similar age. This is the sacred. That is the sacred. And do you feel your work in a way is kind of renaming, um, a way of like recognizing things that are lost? No, that's a good question, Adam. I didn't think about it that way. Um, that's possible. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I don't give myself that much credit, but, um, <laughs> but yes, I, that, that could be. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, I'm interested in language, and I'm always interested in words and look words up and um, am fascinated with it. I didn't have, like, a good early education. Um, you know, my father wasn't educated. He was illiterate. I was the first one to go through high school and then first one to go through college, which is a common Native story. Mm -hmm. uh, there are so many of us that have that story um, that are my age. I don't know. I mean, uh, I don't know if it's possible we can save and recreate our languages. Mm -hmm. it's, it's an ongoing, mm -hmm. I mean, there are so many brush fires. <coughs> Let me say that. Like so many things that Peter and I want to solve and my mm -hmm. son, we, we talk about these things all the time. What can we do to make this better? What can we do 
to enlighten people. How do we do that? And we're in the midst of that right here in the Whitney, you and I. Mm -hmm. And we talked about that yesterday at lunch. Um, are we, it's not about my show. I mean, this is instantaneous. This will be gone. What can we do to make lasting impact here at the Whitney? And you know, I'm, and I'm going to go on and say something here and then I'll come back. Um, and then I'll stop. Um, but yesterday, uh, you know, the, the MoMA had purchased a print about this big, about 35 or 40 years ago. And, you know, I tried to get their attention, like in so many different ways, you know, over the years with my printmaking, and nothing ever happened. They just looked and walked on. And yesterday, um, Laura said to me, you know, um, the, the MoMA wants to come down a couple of curators. She didn't say couple, but I, I took it that way. Want to, want to come and have you walk through the prints and the, and the drawings. And so, um, I was prepared for that, but I wasn't prepared when I walked in and there were 25 or 30 people standing there looking at me. And I was like, wait, uh, where are you all from? Thinking that they brought their friends with them. And uh, they said, we're all from MoMA. <laughs> and I said, really? And, and what department are you from? Thinking that I had half the museum there. <laughs> no, it was just one department. <laughs> and, um, and I don't know that we had all of them. They have casts of thousands. And so I said to them, you know, uh, you know, you only own this. You only have this one little print. Um, and by the way, I didn't just think, think if they owned a big painting, <laughs> yeah, you would have had a hundred people. <laughs> oh, imagine. Yeah. And I didn't thank Garth. I need to thank Garth because he's my, and Hugh, my ever present support system. Oh my goodness. Um, and they're working on solving some of these things. But when I saw all of them there, I said, okay, this is my opportunity. Mm -hmm. Like they've never listened to me before. Now they're, I have them captive. Mm -hmm. Now I can really talk to them. And so um, that's what I did. I just put my thinking cap on and I started out and I didn't care if it was a painting or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. If it had a lesson in it, I moved on it. And um, they, they followed, they had to, mm -hmm. um, you know. <laughs> and so, so I'm thinking, could it be that the Whitney like cracked open this door and with the work that you've done, Adam, that we will, and, and Laura and Caitlin, okay. that will we have an impact on the other museums here in New York? Is that possible? Do you think? I think, yes, I guess what? I think you have your answer. When there weren't two people and there were 25, you have your answer. So talk to me, go back one slide. I mean, I mean, we're just gonna I talk about maps and yeah. in terms of, um, you know, what do maps mean for you? Um, what oh. is a memory map? And this oh. work, which is the cover of the catalog has sort of become almost a, a um, sign or symbol for the whole show in a way. Well, you know, map is abstract. Mm -hmm. uh, and when Amerigo made his first map, um, you know, it was an abstract thing in his mind. He did the best job he could do with it. Um, for Native people, it's palpable. It is real. It is embedded with, you know, plants and animals from home, with 
you know, all the things that we do on the land. We dance on the land. We don't dance in a building once in a while, but mm -hmm. not a lot. I mean, uh, we do um, all of our activities, all of our prayers, everything I can think of we are doing on the land. So the land is where our ancestors mm -hmm. are. And I like to say, which is uh, like sort of provocative with white people, I like to say that, you know, that my DNA comes out of that land mm -hmm. because that's where I was born and it comes into the mother's bloodstream through the food. Mm -hmm. And in that um, food is the DNA of, you know, of weasels and wood ticks and blue mm -hmm. jays and you name it. It's all there. Mm -hmm. You figure thousands and thousands of years, mm -hmm. you know, of our crumbling bodies emerging with the earth mm -hmm. and then coming back to feed the mother. So that's what's in me. Right. And so I think of it as a real palpable, you know, sensuous, you know, visceral thing um, for and me. That's different than Jasper John's map. Mm -hmm. And for you, is that very much in the pigments that you're working with and in the materials? I mean, do you feel that, that, that the work becomes an extension of that in relationship to you and to the earth and to... Because, um, you know, you're painting on canvas, you're painting yeah. on paper. Paper yeah. is made of, of plant matter that's, you know, usually compressed that, you know, um, uh, and, and so many of the traditional, you know, materials for using were all from the earth in terms of... Sure. Sure, the minerals. Yeah. I mean, that's a piece of it, but I think it's, it's me uh, envisioning what we do on our land and what we... Um, what it means to us, all of our stories and everything come out of that land. The one thing the Christian church mm -hmm. um, didn't realize is that the plants and animals that are listed in the Bible come from over there on the other side of the planet. Like they always talk about the old world and the new world, like this side isn't baked yet. <laughs> uh, I always think, you know, that's a colonial idea, you know. If I, Absolutely. if I've often wondered if we could have a dictionary of colonial ideas, um, like it's actually a great idea. Language. Somebody out there is going to write it. I'm sure they um, should. <laughs> well, because we need it. I mean, yes. I mean, we're immersed in it, and we don't even know it. So we talk about mm -hmm. the old world and the new That's world. Right. That language right there says, exactly. oh, like over here, uh, they didn't invent the wheel yet. Oh, they did get fire, but. You know, they don't really have a language written. No, we did it differently. Right. And when you do it differently, you have something of the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's not the same as, and that's what we don't know, and that's not what we teach in schools. I mean, my grandchildren that I'm raising, I have two granddaughters I'm raising, they're 13 and 15, bring their papers home from school or come home and tell me what the teachers say. And then I say, okay, well, here's the truth. You take this back, you know, and tell those teachers they're wrong. And, you know, and they're great. The kids are great. I mean, they learn so easily. Um, yeah, so. But it's interesting. I mean, your maps, and, I mean, and you know, serve different kinds of functions. Some yeah. are more directly political. And I mean, if we can yeah. maybe Megan share a few of the, 
Yep. They and they and you've been doing them for um, a yep. couple, few decades now. In fact, uh, since uh, I think, I think that and this one, was the first. It was I, I think it was. I won't swear to yeah, that. But it was around that sure. time. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you know. But you I keep had, coming back to them, and the maps morph and change, and they add yeah. different things to it. You know why I did that, Adam? It was because in the 1980s, I was. Um, I was painting landscapes then. Petroglyph Park is one and that Laura put in that first gallery. Um, I was painting landscapes, but mm-hmm. um, people weren't understanding. And I was talking about Chief Seattle's speech and clear cutting. And, mm-hmm. oh, you know, I was at home doing xeriscaping, looking for xeriscaping plants. Um, and um, there wasn't much talk about the climate at that time mm-hmm. or clear cutting or mm-hmm. anything. And I was like reading these old Indian speeches that were um, uh, written down during the treaty times, which is 1854 mm-hmm. to 1890. That was, mm-hmm. the, that was the heaviest uh, treaty time. That was the heaviest big right. major steal of Indian land right. west of the Mississippi, where Thomas Jefferson and others thought there might be dinosaurs out there. Um, <laughs> uh, so we were discovered quite a bit later than Indians east of the Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I remember stories in my family about seeing the first white men um, coming to our land mm-hmm. um, and, um, and what, what were they there for? Well, they were there to fleece us for one thing. Mm-hmm. And then they were raping and pillaging. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, people think, oh, you have some white blood. Oh, there must have been like romance between you and the Europeans, your family. No, I mean, they were coming and they were raping women. And so that's how we, you know, that's how most of us got, you know, the white blood we did. But when you go back to that Mm -hmm. map, Mm -hmm. I was at that time pondering, like, how can I make my messages um, not so incommunicado, Mm -hmm. but how could I make them so that people would understand more about what I'm saying. Because I really felt like I had something to say, to communicate, but I wasn't doing it right. And then, like I said, I'll just do what Rauschenberg did. I'll just cut it right out of the newspaper, and I'll just glue it in there. Mm -hmm. And so I see it as my wrap. Um, And I cut those out, and then I would lay them out on a table, and then figure out how I could put them together so I could make a sing song out of it, you know, a children's rhyme or something, mm-hmm. and tell my stories that way. So that one was the first experiment. That one doesn't like kind of ring with my rap, which grew later. It but doesn't. that's the start of it. That one, you know, like I think a lot not not just me, but other artists as well, were at play in the studio. So um, I, I'm there thinking about uh, things that I could do that entertain me, that make me feel better, make me feel mm-hmm. good. And that map right there, I erased all European presence. I put it there, and then I erased it to Kooning and Rauschenberg. That little thing sticks with me, about mm-hmm. one erasing the other. Process. Mm-hmm. I, I erased all European names, and I kept all native um, uh, all native names. 
I made several of those maps because they were so fun to do. And I like the way it undoes the borders in many cases, yeah, yes, too, because that. this whole idea yeah, of the just, borders and the way they were structured. They're, they're just political borders. I mean, I mean, guys at the top just make it up like they did in the Middle East, you know, after the Second World War. Look how they screwed that whole place up. Like, <laughs> exactly. Moving those borders around. I mean, really, um, it's always about hegemony, um, one of Peter's favorite words. Um, Indian Country Today. That one I did, um, that one was like a, a children's map, but I wanted everybody to know, no matter where you go in the United States, even if there isn't an Indian tribe officially mm -hmm. located right there, um, that there's, there are Indian activities going on. Mm -hmm. So, and they're always at a survival level. Like when I surfed on the College Art Association board, um, people would talk about, their, their parents took them to Europe on trips, um, mm -hmm. you know, when they were kids. Like, there was no such thing in my, in, in my world mm -hmm. as that, you know. Uh, it always made me feel like the other when I listened to that. Mm -hmm. But here, everything is survival. Everything is about survival because mm -hmm. that's where we are. Mm -hmm. After the, the immense genocide that we went through, by the way, it's not... It's still here. Mm -hmm. That's what people don't know. Mm -hmm. It comes at us in multiple. There are mm -hmm. multiple ways you can create genocide. It doesn't have to be lining us up in a ditch, in front of a ditch, like they did our families, and mowing them mm -hmm. down, and uh, so they would fall in the ditch. Mm -hmm. That's not the only way. Mm -hmm. There are other ways. So taking language is one. So I put those are all mm -hmm. um, clippings out of newspapers. New York Times, the Charcusta, the Navajo Times, um, you know, newspapers that I would get at Newsland that had interesting articles about what Indian people were doing. And so the things in there are about childcare, education, health, all those basic uh, things that you need for survival. Yeah. I love, I don't know if Andrea Carlson's here today, but um, I think it was one of the quotes uh, I found in the, in, the, in the catalog where she said, indigenous people knew the land not as a grid work of nations, but as a tapestry of seams and intersections, not nouns, but verbs. Yeah. And I thought that was a really beautiful description of the idea of land as living and breathing and not right. about control. Right. Um, you know, not about division. Right. Um, not about separation not about domination no. and isolation, but no. about connectedness. Yeah, and what people think is that we were always at war, but how did we fill museums with those beautiful, beautiful artworks that come from all of our tribes as an expression of the celebration of life? Right. You know, there's an interesting thing. Andrea went every summer to um, Matulin or some mm -hmm. island in the Great Lakes to study um, the Ojibwe language. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's very bright and she learned. But, you know, in, um, in the with the Métis, which is part of my family, the French and Cree, um, as far as I know, it's one of the few languages made up in the world. Michif, it's called Michif. Mm, and it uh, takes French nouns and it takes um, Cree verbs, and the verbs 
become the important part of the language. Mm-hmm. So when she says that about the verbs, um, which I think is an interesting, um, I think that's an interesting. Well, it makes it into a living thing and not yes. just an object. Yes, because an object is something that one can control and move right. and change. But if it's yeah. a verb, it's when you're describing action. the water, it's action exactly. You know, um, uh, Daryl Kipp, who is a scholar, a Blackfeet scholar. Mm-hmm. My cousin was married to a Blackfeet, and he. Um, uh, we 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 would go up to Badger Creek uh, to camp in the summertime for the encampments. And in the old days, the encampments were uh, to make marriages, to do trading, um, uh, the, uh, mm-hmm. to socialize at the encampments. Mm-hmm. Well, we're still doing it. People don't know we are, but mm-hmm. we're still doing it. Mm-hmm. And so um, uh, Daryl Kipp had gone to California to study at a language school, mm-hmm. then to come back and learn Blackfeet as an adult. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, how could you do that? What is that? And he said, it's, it's stand up, sit down, turn around. And I made a painting about it. <laughs> there you go. It's verbs. <laughs> it's verbs. Exactly. Action verbs. That's how we learn the language. That's right. That's right. Stand up, sit down, turn around. So I, we're going to... Um, can we show the Ronin Robe series? And maybe you could read your little, there's a little description that you wrote. Actually, it's a long poem, but if you could read a section of it, I think it's under your folder there. Yeah. I, I thought it was such a beautiful yeah. description of it. I mean, I think, you know, most of most of you know her work. Also, John's work know that she's a wonderful writer, but I, th- I think the, actually speaking of verbs and kind of things moving, um, I think the way the words end up in the work and the words function for you is so beautiful. So I'd love for you to just read a little portion, if you would. Um, well, you know, I I did these. Um, I was in grad school as an older student in, mm-hmm. with Harmony Hammond. Mm-hmm. And she wanted us, she was, you know, she, Eva Hesse was her, was her, mm-hmm. like her mentor mm-hmm. or something. And um, she wanted us to kind of move off the canvas. And so I began thinking about that and then cutting canvas into kind of like shapes and um, and wanting to, I was homesick and thinking about what, um, what the elder women were doing with the hides at home and mm-hmm. how they were tanning the hides. Mm-hmm. And so I was going through the steps uh, for myself to, mm-hmm. you, for Indian people, let me say this, uh, art is a process. It's about meditation. It's about chanting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about healing. Um, it's, it's a, mm-hmm. the process is so important to what we do. These are really about the process. Yeah. And so at the time I wrote, I wrote about that process, and I started in the beginning with the glaciers pushed and the people moved. This is about birth. Exactly. It's about Mm -hmm. birth. The glaciers Mm -hmm. pushed Mm -hmm. and the people moved Mm -hmm. onward and downward. It's about, and the the mother gave birth. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm still working with Tierra Madre, and Mm -hmm. I don't, I think we have one upstairs. So then I went through that um, in describing um, my coming into the world and then something about my background 
and about how I create the work from my dreams, half awake and half asleep, during the twilight time, I'm still doing that. Mm -hmm. You still need to catch and capture what remains in the daylight world, but then in the dream world. And, you know, I was just reading Leroy uh, Little Bear, who's um, a Blackfeet scholar in Canada, and he's talking about the other dimension. Mm -hmm. It's there. We all know it's there. Um, And, you know, my friend Mary Rose, who is in this room, Mm -hmm. uh, is always talking to me about it. And um, for most Native people, and so some people think that we believe in voodoo and, you know, things like that. No, there's another dimension to our world. Mm -hmm. And we revel in that. Mm -hmm. We, you know, so I talk about that. And then I talk about how a shape appears to the woman and she cuts the canvas sometimes in the shape of an elk sometimes in the shape of a bison, and sometimes in the shape of new things, meaning, you know, it's just whatever my imagination brings forth. Heads to the left, tails to the right. If we wore a robe um, in the old days, that's how you would wear it. It would be heads to the left and tails to the right. There's a right way and there's a wrong Mm -hmm. way. Stripes going round. Stripes. Mm -hmm. Stripes going round. (laughs) Then a color appears to the woman and she dyes the canvas, sometimes in the color of leather, the color of grass, the color of new things, heads to the left, tails to the right. And then a design appears and she paints the canvas, sometimes in the manner of mapping, or the geometry of line in the way of new things, stripes going round, and then a fire appears to the woman. And then I'm talking about, I'm talking about smoking um, the canvas. Yeah, These were all smoked. I noticed, yes. When you smoke them, you smoke them over a fire. Is yeah, that it? They have to be rolled and mm-hmm. tied. And then there's a, a pit that's dug, and then the punk or the rotten cottonwood goes Mm -hmm. down there and then has to smolder. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'll tell you something funny about that is that, you know, I gave Miriam Shapiro one time a pair of moccasins Mm -hmm. that I got for her at home. And I came back to her studio and they were out on the roof. And I said, Mimi, why, why are your moccasins on the roof? And she said, they smell like bacon and my grandfather would roll over in his grave. And I said, we worked so hard to get that smoked smell. And I'm in the cab and my, my sweet uh, friend and relative from home, uh, Linda King, who I think is here in the audience. And um, she made a new hat band for my son and myself. She's our most incredible beater at home and she put my horse up here a ghost of my horse um you know we worked so hard and in the cab i could smell she gave me smoked hide i could smell it it's perfume it makes me feel um like home because when we go into the indian houses at home you can Mm -hmm. smell the smoked hide but to mimi it smelled like bacon so i think (laughs) you know what culturally 
we share things in common yeah. and culturally we have some differences. And, yeah. We do. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was just as I was looking at this, I was thinking weirdly about um, in the 1970s, Richard Serra did a group of pieces called Prop Pieces. And I was thinking about how disconnected those props are from the world. And yeah. so, in a funny way, so alienated from. And to me, I mean, here you have these lodgepoles. And, yeah. and I was you know, looking up about lodgepoles and, and reading that lodgepoles are the kinds of pines that are first ones that come up after mm -hmm. a forest fire. Yeah. So that's the idea that it's a living thing. And then you yeah. talk about the smoking and you talk yeah. about the smells yeah. and then you talk about it's, it's, you know, it's the flip side of what so much of modern art was dealing with. It right. was sort of a kind of alienation from the human being. And you're, yeah. Your works are about reconnecting us right. in a way. And yeah. here they were being done at similar times with such totally different intent. And um, uh, I'm, just, I'm just totally fascinated by it. You um, know, Neil, uh, uh, the, the men taught Neil how to climb the front of a teepee. And I have to say, that's not something that I would ever have attempted. But he could go, <laughs> nor I. He could go in his bare feet and climb the front. Um, you know, when uh, when they were erecting a teepee and um, to fix the ear flaps mm -hmm. or uh, to put the buttons in, the pins mm -hmm. that go in the front are called the buttons. And, you know, uh, he could he could do that. Um, and Neil, well, how, how many poles were in in a Blackfeet? It depends on the size. There could be 28. Okay. But in the Salish, there were 16, right? It depends on the size. It depends on the size. They have put, different numbers. You could put 12 people. Yeah, you could put 12 people in a teepee. We would go in at night and, and listen, to, um, listen to stories about the yeah. creation of the world or yeah. something like that. We would all gather together inside of a teepee. And believe me, it's cozy yeah. when you get that many people in But there. it's beautiful because I mean, that, you know, these are works that you know, in Western tradition, we look at them on the wall, yeah. paintings. Right. But these are works about enclosure. They're works about living. They're works right. about being connected and right. not about disconnection in a sense. No. It's about it's about a wholeness and I and Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's about a remembrance. It's about it, it's about um it's a tactile uh need for us to uh be connected to that whatever mm -hmm. um you know the sacred and everything that it offers, the ceremony. Mm -hmm. Um that's always there um in um I don't want to say a functional mm -hmm. way, but you know what? When I talked uh, yesterday, no, two days ago, um, about the uh, about ceremony when we were at that dinner, and I said um, uh, I, I started out by saying where ceremony comes from, mm -hmm. which is the, the real, the life, d daily life, and, yeah. and our our marking the seasons and and marking death and birth and all the things that we have to mark to be humans right. that we need in our life. And you do it here in the city in all kinds of uh, different ways uh, than maybe we do on the reservation, but still with great meaning. Ceremony comes from a real place. Right, from like lived experience. You and I talked, talked yeah. about that and how it has a function in life. Mm -hmm. A real function. Absolutely. I mean, what, what we're doing right here, right now, is a function. talking about 
Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. It's a function, and we're mm -hmm. sharing that with others, and we forget that. We hang something on the wall. That's right. And then and look at it. That's sort of it's my point, decorative... because the, you know, the whole history of modernism was, in a way, separating oneself from the world, in a way, objectifying in the world in so many ways. And, you know, you know, if you look at so much indigenous artists, these are parallel histories going on yeah. at the same time, and they yeah. both have their own truths and their ideas, some of which are connected, I mean, because, yeah. you know, um, uh, you know, but others about, and I think, you know, for me, it's such an important thing. And I think it's, you know, going back to what you're saying about the importance for the Whitney right now, it's understanding that there are more, there's not only one received history, there's right. multiple received histories. And right. that, how we celebrate all of those histories and how much right. actually so much indigenous art has been ignored by the art world for right. that reason. Because right. it doesn't represent the canon, the history right. that is passed down. It's that, that canon, I believe, almost has taken the function out of what the mm -hmm. Medici's were doing, taking the function and mm -hmm. putting it into a, a tomb, a sterile place, um, you know, a place that was disconnected from the planet, disconnected from reality mm -hmm. or ceremony. And I think in some ways they thought of us as being foolish and primitive and all that because we were still connecting that. But you know what? In all these years, in 50 years that I've been doing this work and, um, you know, tracking younger artists and... Mm -hmm. um, you know, and there's so many now that it's hard for me to keep up. But, you know, if they get an award or, mm -hmm. you know, they have an exhibition, I write to them. Even if they don't know who I am, I write to them and say, I am so thrilled because they're my future. When I'm not here, they're going to carry on. So I want them to do this. I want them uh, to make their work. And I want them to invade the institutions. Mm -hmm. Um, let me, yeah. you know, I'm going to shift just a little bit, but it's connected because um, I'm going to show you some images that really deal with the idea of storytelling, because that's one of the things that in many ways became anathema to so much modern art. The idea that yeah. there would be a narrative, a story, right. a literal meaning. The idea was always to kind of abstract it. And, you know, I, th I think one of the great joys of your work is all of this storytelling. And I... I'd lo love for you to talk a little bit about storytelling and, and narrative in your work and uh, how that functions. Well, I'm going to start in the in the mm -hmm. I'm going to I'm going to start in a different place. I'm going mm -hmm. to say to you that in our Indian world, we we can't tell stories in the summer. After the beaver mm. ponds have thawed, we can't tell stories. Um, we can only tell them in the winter. And that was because in the summer, it was time to work. It was time to harvest Is that food. across all indigenous pretty, or pretty much? Pretty much. Is, really? Would you say, Peter? Yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so... Um, so there was a time for storytelling. It yes. wasn't just any time. There was it, a particular... It was in the wintertime when mm -hmm. you had time and people were gathered close together. Mm -hmm. You had the children gathered around you. So, you know, they... They kind of follow that at home. Mm -hmm. But yes, I am a storyteller. Mm -hmm. It's in my work, all of the work. Mm -hmm. every, Almost every piece of mm -hmm. work has a story that goes with it. Even if it was a story like mm, I was 
driving down the highway and the car ran out of gas and <laughs> you know and then I had to call home and and then when I made this piece of work often we we have stories like that that go with the piece of work it has some mm-hmm. some significance mm-hmm. like that and how it got made that's the one thing that um continues to fascinate me about native art versus all other art is that for me it's the story in the art that you know today Chaz Johns gave me a piece of art he came to be a speaker uh, for us he was a student of my son's and and um i just i just so happy that he's here he brought me mm-hmm. brought me a piece of art that he had made and along with it a little booklet with a story um from Wisconsin uh Ojibwa and cuz the Ojibwas are here and the Ojibwa are here and he um but they're the same or similar anyway no, it had I, a story was so I look at you know for example this yeah. um Sesinipa un peace pipe i like that because you know for yeah. Magritte it was oh. about a playing of image and word right. and it was much more of a kind of visual yeah. intellectual game yeah but this is you know well serious story here well, and serious yeah, you know commentary and criticism and it's me taking art history mm-hmm. and flipping it around that's right you know jimmy drum did that he was really good at that mm-hmm. he's really mm-hmm. good at that and um let's see who else do well rauschenberg kind of did that mm-hmm. uh i'm trying to think like who else in in art history uh kind of flipped things around well there there um the tricksters Yeah. Um we have yeah. we have tricksters in yes. in art history too. And so um Here's some. Yeah. Here's yeah. some too. Tell, tell uh, me about Coyote humor. sees the world. And, yes. Clearly, I mean, for heaven's sakes, that's what we're doing in the United States right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, tell me about humor in your work. And you know, your work is tough. It's critical. Yeah. Um You're pissed about things yeah. a lot. Yes. Yeah. Um I am. Yeah. But you but you know something you have an incredible gentility, a incredible sense of humor, equanimity. Um but you know the trickster in a way sort of plays with all of that. Yes, it does. Yes. So what I see in the news, you know, when I step into the street, whatever it is, um sometimes on a billboard, you know, um you know and sometimes i usually keep a tablet in my pocket or pencil or something to write oh there's a title if i get the title you know i can make mm. or vice versa that so sometimes starts with the title and then there's an image sometimes, that comes out yeah. of it huh. yeah like like here coyote wears a mask i love that you know it's a it's person in politician who shall remain unnamed who who <laughs> actually it could be almost there, any politician yes it could who thinks that um you know that they're fooling us with this nice face and then underneath is the same like i mean they're um you know um there's a word charlatan or something for that you know i could say that but saying yes. coyote wears a mask um is what that's about It's about being a charlatan. Do you use humor as a way to make the medicine go down, so to speak? I yes, mean, yeah, to try absolutely. to, um, right. yeah. because people probably, uh, so I think, you know, kind of chuckle at first and then they look a little more deeply. It becomes you know, disarming. You know, we got a TV in high school, I think it was, and I used to watch, dedicatedly watch the Jewish comedians. 
love the Jewish Don't get me started. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, their humor is kind of ribald, but also, um, you know, provocative and at Mm -hmm. the same time Mm self-deprecating, which our our reservation humor about everything. Mm -hmm. So like one little story I can think of is some, uh, heard at my cousin's table was about the Blackfeet family that had a cabin and it had holes in the logs and they were getting ready for a bad winter. And uh, the father said, should we get a TV dish uh, so we can watch TV all winter or should we use our money to fix the cabin so it's warm? And of course, of course, there's no question. I mean, you would you would buy the TV dish. Of course. There's no question about that. <laughs> and so with all the children and everything. This is like Jewish humor. <laughs> exactly. Right. And so they did. And then a big storm came up and blew the satellite away. <laughs> that is that That's is a, a trickster. Story. It's a trickster and it's the story of our lives. Right. It's how it's how our lives go. Yeah. Um you know, you've done a fair amount of curating because you've had to serve a lot of different functions over time. Um, um, do you see your curating as sort of as a kind of storytelling? And what is the function of the cur- of you know of curating in your work? Because I I often feel when I'm looking at your work that you're both even curating your work in the sense that thinking about how the pieces come together. Yeah. And you've done many shows where you've done that as well. And it's all of a piece in a way. They're not separate. Oh, Oh, everything, everything that you see about my life, one is connected to the other to the other. I don't have separations. Europeans have separate boxes and categories for things, uh, which is a neat way to control your life. Mine is not controlled. Right. And so... Uh, every single one of these things is mm-hmm. connected one to the other. So when I do that, it's about my community. Mm-hmm. It means I can be with my community. I mean, part of my community is right here. Linda mm-hmm. Loma Hafta was right over there. Mm-hmm. And she's been in my community for 50 years. And Pete also. I love my community. I mean, they are... Uh, they are my life. And here's some of your community here, on, on on the but, screen. Yeah, Jolene is is right in there. Actually, Neil was uh, right off to the side, and Harmony made him get out of the picture. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, you'll have to put him back in. <laughs> I, I I always but, tell people so he can be. So you, I mean, this was a you know a very celebrated um, yeah. um, exhibition. Actually, Candace talks about it in the catalog. Women yeah. of Sweet Sweetgrass. Cedar and Sage, right. and I was fascinated that yeah. this show, I believe, was sponsored by the Smithsonian. Was it? Am no. I correct about that? No, it wasn't sponsored by this anybody except not. Pete. This I mean, was Pete. Peter, it was another one I'm getting mixed up with. I Peter know Peter let me bring me it to Thank his you. gallery in New York, AICH, uh-huh. American Indian Community House, and Rosemary R- Richmond, who uh, who had um, what was her program called? Pete, her. Rosemary's program. (laughs) Yeah, it was well. It Mm -hmm. was there. um, You know, we had at that time maybe maybe did we figure forty seven thousand, fifty thousand Indians here in the city? About it was approximately that, and um, you know they needed health care. They needed food. 
they needed some housing. Rosemary Richmond funded, however she was by the city, mm-hmm. this program. Mm-hmm. And Peter approached her to see if we could create an art gallery too. Mm-hmm. And Peter did it and he ran it. And I would take shows to Pete. And so and that's how the this Indian one came art that about. got shown here in the city in the, in the 1978 and into the 80s was all about Rosemary giving us some money mm-hmm. and Pete doing it on a shoestring. And I tell the story about filling the holes with toothpaste uh, in the, and, <laughs> yep. and Pete had to keep moving because the rent would go up. And we would do these shows. And like it, it, tearfully, I talked about uh, a group who came today, the son of Rosemary Richmond, mm-hmm. her, her, her niece, her sister, there was a group that were all related who came to see me. Mm-hmm. And we all stood with tears in our eyes talking about the fact that Rosemary funded and let us mm-hmm. show art here in the city. It mm-hmm. was the only place that we could do that. Mm-hmm. And there would be some people like uh, Lucy Lepard, mm-hmm. who was out of curiosity, mm-hmm. would show up there with her little tablet mm-hmm. about this big uh, writing, taking notes, yeah. so that when she did Mixed Blessings, mm-hmm. that book, she had gotten information from me and Pete to do that. But nobody else, no one. There was no one who cared mm-hmm. or who was interested in what we were doing. Mm-hmm. We did it because we it had to do to it. needed to be done. Yeah. We had to do it. And Neil was just a little boy. He was, um, he was my little tag-along. Can you just talk for a second a little bit about the intersection between kind of feminism and um, and Indian art at that point? I mean, yeah, sure. You know, I did um, several times join feminist groups, sort Mm -hmm. of. Um, I was always on the fringes, on the margins. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I didn't have credit cards. They all had credit cards. Mm -hmm. Um, And... um, you know, I didn't have um, access, you know, to the institutions or anything. So uh, they were in a different place than I was in. And um, also, we, we couldn't avoid men. We needed our men. When you're at a survival level, mm-hmm. you can't do without the men. Mm-hmm. And that we are helpmates to one another. And so um, that made a difference in, in we, Native women, compared to... Like I, I w- had George and Pete, and and I also mm-hmm. had Carita and Linda, and uh, Mary but was Rose. This were, the sh- the, was that we, show we the Sweet Grape? To- was that the first show that was devoted completely to um, uh, women, women? And, and indigenous women first artists? First traveling ever. exhibition of Native women in this country of mm-hmm. living Native women. Mm-hmm. No matter what Jill Yohi says at me, Mia. Uh, who claimed that her show was that, you know, that that was unkind when she did that. Mm-hmm. But um, no, this was the first exhibition. Mm-hmm. I also did the first exhibition of um, touring Native photography. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, those were two No, you, those had, were to, two you had to do everything. I mean... You had to try yep. to be in, you know, acting in multiple in, arenas. Yeah. And also Peter, Peter kept it for two months. He exhibited it for two months and called the New York Times. He 
you know, advertised it and everything. No, I mean, uh, it took mm -hmm. it took all of us together in our yep. community to do these things right. for talk. each other, I might say. Yes. First, yeah. we had to do this for each other. Well, hopefully other people will now start to lend a hand more. I hope. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. You want to say a little bit about Chief Seattle? I mean, I think some of these works were the first works that you started putting words into, weren't they? Am I right about um, that, or am I getting yes, that wrong, Yes, no, too? that's earlier. Oh, good, I that's got that That's earlier right. before I did the clippings. Mm -hmm. I was my own clipping service. Mm -hmm. But um, these are, um, <laughs> yeah, um, Chief Seattle, well, I was reading the old Indian speeches. Just shocking that in 1854, when, in the treaty times, when they were rounding us up, they were already polluting the rivers and creeks, right. and, well, everything was happening, it just so fast, um, mm -hmm. clear-cutting the mm -hmm. grandfather trees. Mm -hmm. um, and they were writing, the, 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 they were being written down, you know, at the, at mm -hmm. the treaties. Uh, so I've used their words. Chief Seattle I used too, besides Chief Charlo, because he was Salish. And I mean, this for you too is a really um, important expression as you say, all things of the earth are connected. It's yeah. sort of, I mean, oh, yeah. really about major environmental state, oh, statements. Oh, yeah, it's an environmental statement. Statements. Absolutely. And was this where you were really, yeah. I mean, first time, I mean, it was always embedded in the work. Oh, yeah. But this is the first time you really put it there. Put it out there. Yeah. And yeah. That was uh, like when you saw those landscape ups, uh, landscapes upstairs, like the pastels mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or Petrocliff Park. And then you go to the next room. Laura so wisely put that together. That was the next step. Mm -hmm. um, that was uh, really creative on her part to uh, put those pieces in there. And I was going through the garbage dumps behind mm -hmm. my house and getting the tin cans and rifling through there. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, that's a that's a garden hose that I mm -hmm. found out there. Yep. Um, and do you feel now? I mean, that you know with. I mean, the quote-unquote modern environmental movement. I mean, um, uh, um, indigenous people have always been environmentalists. And I think actually the, you know, the things that you've put forward in a lot of these works, I mean, do you feel um, that it's changed anything? I mean, do you think that art changes anything? I mean, as, as an activist and as an artist, I mean, obviously you're trying to put things out there. Well, I'm putting things in a location where they normally aren't. Mm -hmm. I like to think of it that way, that my messages are in a space that you normally don't see. We have Lawrence Weiner. We have other artists mm -hmm. who do this. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, I do it in with different media mm -hmm. uh, in a, and say it maybe in a different way. Mm -hmm. Mine isn't as studious and as ethereal or mm. maybe as um, as brainy as his work. But um, but there are artists who do this. But I always see that maybe, you know, maybe could I? You know, I'll tell you that children, mm -hmm. they're the ones who get it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so if I do it for no one else, I do it for the children. I mean, you were involved in the creation of the Petroglyph National Monument, and that yep. was that. Yep. And well, because the the gift shops in Old Town were 
tearing the rocks out of the, you know, 17 miles of lava escarpment along the city of Albuquerque, the only um, city in the United States that has um, 17 miles of, of uh, petroglyphs uh, along the edge of the city should be a historic site. And they were taking, chipping out the rocks. People were using them for um, target mm -hmm. practice with their guns, uh, that sort of thing. And Indian people were going up there to pray. Yeah. You could find the prayer sticks and the uh, turquoise up there where they were praying. Um, so a group of us artists got together and we lobbied uh, Bill Richardson, who had just started as a mm -hmm. le legislator at that time. Mm -hmm. And he did work really hard, made it into a national park. Mm -hmm. So it has hiking trails in it mm -hmm. now. And, um, you know, in the destruction mm -hmm. um, is what we hope stopped. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it was an important, I, f I felt an important thing to save it. I'm going to jump forward to 1992. Uh, May I do that? Sure. Megan's saying yes, because yeah. I have all these great pictures. But, um, yeah. but um, you know, it was a kind of critical turning point for you. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you created the Submulak Society. Yeah, Samalik. Well, if you turn the word Columbus around, you get Samalik. And um, oh, I mispronunciated. Sorry. <laughs> I, oh well, no. You. I mean, it, it's up to us to make up how we want to say Columbus mm -hmm. backwards. Right. I mean, you can say it any way you want. Well, now I have the correct pronunciation, but thanks. Well, no, no. There, there's no correct way to say it backwards. Oh. I mean, we could. I love you this know, cover, word, by the way. I love the Columbus show backwards with the yeah, yeah with the Columbus yeah. whoosh. I will, and and the man who invented that word is is a is a cousin of mine, and he's in the room here. Uh -huh. um, yeah, and he's the one who invented it. We were sitting on my cousin's floor, and uh, Corky Claremont um, uh, uh, said, "You know, we we should be subversive, and uh, what if we turned the word." Columbus around, and you know, then we could turn it into. I don't know if Corky said some mullock, but I mean, it stuck, and there we are. And then I turned around. Um, and this one was the one sponsored by the Smithsonian, well, wasn't it? Am I right? No, no. Still off. And uh, so, so uh, we made the Samalik right. show, and then we, and then I turned around. Columbus woes, and woes is show. I turned show around, made it woes. I love that. And I said, oh, yeah, that's good. That's, <laughs> that is that is real coyote kind of humor. But, but yeah. this is also the same time you started the Trade Canoe series as well, right? Wasn't it around um, then? Yeah. I th yeah, 1992 or 91. It's a big yeah. year. Right, yeah. Well, it's when I just like said... The hell with it! I'm not going to try to write this stuff. I'm just mm -hmm. going to I'm just going to cut it out of the paper, and you know, and then it's there. The messages are real. I just cut them out of the paper, and there's my wrap. And so I began doing that, just doing my clipping service thing on there, <laughs> and gluing it in to tell my story, and it, and it it tells a great story. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff in there about what was going on. It's like a diary of my life about what's going on right there. Uh, there's stuff about the mascots and, you know, and sports teams and racism. And, you know, it's got everything in there that is going on in America. It's like a, it's like a, a billboard or something. So Simply Red, that was a guy 
he was Irish, I think. He had red hair. Hmm. That was his name, right? Simply Red. He had really? a band. I think he had a band. And I said, oh, yeah, Simply Red. I like that. Simply Red. I, I can use that. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So that's my enrollment number right there. Oh. Right there. Yeah. And I had taken a class, and the teacher, Leonardo da Vinci, and the teacher had said, there it and is. Voila. And he, sa and he said, 1492, men, no yeah, less. <laughs> yeah, get that. And then he said, men were s seven heads high, I think. Yeah, seven heads high. And so we were drawing. And I said, but what about women? What are they? He said, we, he didn't make a measurement for women. So that's what I did. I made a measurement for women, and I made it go outside That's the circle. Right. It's a medicine bigger than, wheel, I love bigger that. than life, bigger. <laughs> I did, yeah, on there, and that's my body on there. Yeah. So, talk about the kind of anti-war imagery that you were. Uh, well, Guernica, I, you know, I, I think, and I don't think I dreamed it. I think I saw Guernica one time many years mm -hmm. ago. Do you think I could have? Yes. I was think it you could here? have. It was at MoMA. They say it's never going to travel. It was at MoMA. That's when I saw it. It was MoMA before they shipped it back. I can't remember exactly. the year. And it was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. I, let me say that. And uh, seeing Guernica was like, that was a riveting mm -hmm. experience that I've never forgotten. Mm -hmm. So uh, in all these war pictures I'm in there, that's Guernica. On pieces the right out of corner. Guernica. Yeah, the yeah. right. And Jose Guadalupe Posada is in here. Um, you know, he's somebody else I follow. Um, um, and I just take uh, pieces from all of them and then put it with these war horses. But, you know, they were doing the Iraq War, and I was so against it. So I made a heart that's spouting oil. Um, mm -hmm. and, the, and that one, I use Moybridge, like people yep, are exactly. treated like cattle and rounded up and marched, you know. We mm -hmm. can think of... We can we can think of going that, back that, in history. If you of go to the so next one, I think of that, that where, about, which I find this one of going forward, looking back. That's about our tribes. Mm -hmm. We we do that for everything. We we go we think about seven generations out, and uh, if we make a decision, is this going to be good? Is this going to go there? So, like in the work that I'm doing, mm -hmm. like even though that show is there, mm -hmm. I'm thinking seven generations out. I'm thinking mm -hmm. all the young people who mm -hmm. are coming to see the work mm -hmm. and then because they're my future, yeah. they are going to carry on for me. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's my son or it's like the, the other Janus young people. It's like the Janus in the doorway where in mm -hmm. Roman times where they had the faces looking back and yep. looking forward at the same That's time. That's what and it is. Yep. You're at that moment in the middle where right. you're... Right. So I have the horse kind of turned around because that's how we operate. See, Megan's keeping yeah. me moving here. You're doing okay. a good job, but it's, okay. it's good. I'm, I'm, yeah. Um, what's, you know, uh, I think this is one that you and Neil did. I'd love for, the, yeah, for you to talk a little bit about your work with Neil and, you know, how you started to come working together because it's perfect. We're talking about two generations in the doorway mm -hmm. and you um, so graciously was saying how he has now become your teacher. And I'm, yeah. I'd love for you to talk yeah. about that. Well, when he was in junior high, I used to get him in the studio to, you know, fasten things, like those teaspoons upstairs or in the show. Oh, he was the teaspoon he, he fastener. Put the, he put the, 
you know, I had been traveling with my friend Peter Jemison up to the St. Lawrence Seaway, and Peter was um, talking to me about the steel mills and the trees dying, the maple trees, and um, the fact that those are medicine trees. And, you know, I was getting a whole um, education from Peter, mm-hmm. who's like that. He's a brainy guy, and, you know, I'm always learning from him. And whenever I can spend time with him and his wife, Jeanette, and um, so I began seeing, you know, that um, uh, I needed to, like, maybe commemorate that trip. So that's what that painting is about. But Neil, I, I almost, from the second room forward, Neil in every single room has has um, it's helped screw mm-hmm. things together and, mm-hmm. you know, affix them to the surface and uh, all that. So this was just natural for Neil and I to start making these canoes together. Um, I'm struck with um, how monochrome this is because that's not something that... Right. One tends to see in your work. Is that something no. that just came about naturally between yeah. the two of you? Is yeah, because it... that was just natural wood. I like that. Mm-hmm. And then the the fry bread. And, you know, we talked, I think we talked about this. Yes. That I had some fry bread hanging on the wall for <laughs> 20 years. And the mice wouldn't eat it. You know, um, bugs wouldn't I eat know, it. I know, I like it. It's more It's more lasting than stone or metal or oh, anything absolutely. else. It's fried bread. Uh, people are missing the mark on fried bread. <laughs> And because uh, it could be, it could actually be put to use in I, a different way. I, 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 if I'd only known, we would have built the building out of fried bread. <laughs> <laughs> That's not see. So in this one, the one that um, at uh, this one was the Smithsonian one. Uh huh. And so they ask, they ask me to put a, a make a capsule that size right there, and then put something inside of it. Because it was going to travel, and then they were going to bury it. Maybe, maybe not. And um, and so I I t- told my son, you know, I think I could make something bigger than that box. Something could come out of that box that would be way big. And he said, of course, mom, that's what you're going to think. And then um, <laughs> and then I put um, I said to him, you know, what if I make it out of chains? And uh, so then we talked about how we would hang it. Finally, I talked him into making a motor that would make it into a dancer. So that's my grandson, Gentry Brown, up at the top, who's now 25 years old, and um, a T-shirt from the reservation. And that fry bread right there is 25 years old, right there. No, I think it's all about time. I mean, it's three generations, basically, embedded into one piece. Right there, absolutely. Yeah, and it's got snag bags. And nobody in this room except Indians knows what snag bags are. I was are. just about to say, what's a snag bag? <laughs> well, it's a reservation term. Okay. Like when you go out on the reservation and you look for a date, you, you snag. You're looking for a snag. Huh? You snag your date. Well, what I missed in New York all these and, years. Yes. And, and it has on there, it's a condom. That's what's in that. That's that's what's in the hand, and it's got echinacea and it's got chili and it's got powwow tapes for dancing. It's got everything. It's the warrior. I told you her work has no century. humor to it. Yeah. yeah, and every every twenty minutes, uh, the warrior dances. It's a warrior for the twenty first century. It's equipped with everything that a warrior would need. I'd like one. 
<laughs> and you know, we're just going to end with a couple of more images. I mean, actually, this one, this but, one here, I need to mention. Yes, you do yeah. need to mention. It. I do need because mm -hmm. this was the beginning of my life with the Whitney, mm -hmm. unbeknownst to the Whitney, unbeknownst to anyone here. Mm -hmm. I had come here in sometime in the early 1970s to the Whitney Museum up at the old Breuer building. Mm -hmm. And I had seen Keenholz's, this is a great place to be here. There it is. Presto change out. <laughs> the weight. Yes. I had seen that and I said, I came back home and I told uh, my husband, Andy, I said, you know what? I could, I could do that. I could, I could make it into an Indian lady. And so we lived in this like mm -hmm. 300 square foot apartment and we took one of our kitchen chairs and I had him help me cut it up and mm -hmm. I got some pieces of scrap wood and I made the Madonna because we've been studying it. Mm -hmm. my, my teacher, Leah Lipton, mm -hmm. uh, at school was teaching me about the Renaissance. Mm -hmm. And so I was like thinking the Renaissance, I was thinking Keenholz, and I put all that together in there. And at that time, uh, Vine Deloria was a young writer, and I used his book, God is Red, put mm -hmm. an ear of corn in there for her heart, mm -hmm. something important, Chris the American flag, which often we use as decoration. Mm -hmm. It's kind of decorative mm -hmm. with the stars and the stripes. Mm -hmm. And so, and I had pine cones and stuff that I put mm -hmm. around her neck. And then I said, yeah. Indians are going to be seen maybe in the future just in picture frames. Mm -hmm. I'm always fascinated with that. Mm -hmm. So I did that, and the baby mm -hmm. is um, a representative of mm -hmm. animism. Mm -hmm. Her her hands are bird wings, animism, mm -hmm. and which is something that we believe in, mm -hmm. and that's something that we have engaged with. Mm -hmm. We'll do that at some other time. But here, the baby has um, animal skin for a body mm -hmm. and bird's feet for little hands. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, it, actually, of all the probably um, not indigenous artists, in a way, Keenholz, it's, it's interesting. The politics, the storytelling, right. yep. the working with diversity of materials, right. the right. openness to the world. There's a lot of similar yep. spirit actually yep. shared between yep. you, even though Absolutely. your work doesn't even look like it. No, you know? no, I, but there's, there's really that, like, see, see the picture frames on mm -hmm. there? Absolutely. Like, look how I absorbed mm -hmm. just viewing it, but not mm -hmm. having a picture of it That's and right. um, and put that together to make a new story mm -hmm. uh, out of it. And then, you know, I, I almost like almost get like really emotional about this, that that Laura picked that for the first for mm -hmm. that first piece. When you enter that room, I mean, I, I like it's like a beginning and it's like mm -hmm. Here with this this um, beginning with the Whitney yeah. of of a start with the Whitney, and here we here we carry it to where we are now. I mean, I'm so so moved by that. <coughs> Me too. I just it's a and symbol. I'm going to go to I think it's the last couple of slides while we have. I'm going to go to this because um, you know talking about beginnings and oh. new beginnings. I mean, yeah. Here are some works. Um, yeah, uh, from our collection. Um, yes. And yeah. By some and, of the native artists that you know uh, well, and I just wonder how you think. You know, where's it? 
where's it going? I mean, and the, what are you learning from them? And well, these are I think these are all fairly new in the collection. Mm -hmm. That's right. They? That's correct. So is that since Laura and I've been working? Because she's uh, Laura, been since or before? Laura, before maybe she's. Some, yep. She's been looking and mm -hmm. reaching out and going out to the communities and mm -hmm. uh, meeting uh, with artists. And I did want to say that before we left is that mm -hmm. is that working with Laura, she's taken a passionate interest in what Native people are doing mm -hmm. more than anyone. I mean, you are all supportive. Mm -hmm. I can say that mm -hmm. so easily. But her interest right. moved way beyond right. that and became a passion with her. That's right. And so I would and talk to her on the phone and I would say, I'm, you know, I'm reading this uh, new book called uh, Red Paint. And she would say, oh, yeah, I picked that up. Or I would tell her and she would say, oh, yeah, I'm reading that, too. And, um, you know, um, I would say, you know, I just saw this new poet and talk about Natalie mm -hmm. Diaz or something. Mm -hmm. and. Um, that um, I'm, I'm so crazy about. And um, she was right there. And so, like, it was Laura and I working in lockstep, learning how to waltz together. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've got a painting up there called Waltz, but it's Laura and I, and, and, and Caitlin, too, um, moving in this process Day mm -hmm. after day, week after week, month after month. You know, mm -hmm. getting disappointments sometimes, things we were looking for, mm -hmm. we couldn't find or we couldn't do, or a budget or mm -hmm. whatever. And um, and out of this is coming a new collection here. Out, this is, this is what I wanted my work to do, is I'm a process. I'm part of the process. I am not, people have said, oh, how does it feel, Lucy Lepard said to me, uh, to have your moment in time? Mm -hmm. I said, it's not my moment. It's our I'm, moment. I'm here. It's our moment. That's right. On that. I couldn't have done Bless this you. without you. If you had just spent lunch here.